This is Farmland. Coming up, Eamon Corley of the newly formed Beef Plan Group will be here to discuss its formation and proposals for the beef sector. Independent TD Michael Fitzmaurice and the ICMSA's Des Morrison will debate the pros and cons of contract rearing. But first, I sat down with Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed, after this week's Beef Roundtable to talk price, protests and future plans for the beef sector. We're here with Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed. Minister, the Beef Roundtable took place this week. How did it go? Well, considering uh, the context within which it met, um, we had a very constructive engagement. I mean, as you're aware, uh, the farm organisations, uh, having called repeatedly for the forum to be convened, uh, as stakeholders didn't turn up. Now that left me uh, engaging with uh, the other uh, participants and uh, it, uh, considering that uh, starting point, it was quite a useful engagement because obviously the big picture is this has been a very difficult year for farming. Uh, exceptionally difficult for the beef sector because allied to the difficulties associated with the weather there's been price pressures as well. So. Um, you know, against that backdrop, the engagement with stakeholders and particularly with the meat processors was really important. And the, the hallmark of the agricultural and agri-food sector generally is, you know, the collaborative endeavour of all the stakeholders. That's what has given us the success story that Irish agri-food is. And if there is to be a resolution of the difficulties that the Beef Forum faces, it has to be a resolution that's engineered through the participation of all the stakeholders in engagement and dialogue. So those protesting outside Agriculture House, would they have been better off inside around the table? Well, look, that's an issue for, for farm organisations to determine themselves. Uh, the forum was the poorer for the fact that they weren't there. That's undoubtedly the case. They bring a, a, a unique and distinctive voice to those deliberations. Um, that having been said, we did have a very useful engagement with the uh, other stakeholders, and in particular with the meat processors, discussing you know, the international market. Uh, new market opportunities, live exports, uh, the potential of producer organisations to address some of the issues uh, in the beef sector, to give more power to the farming uh, interests in, in the food chain. All those issues were discussed. What was said about the recent, there's been a lot of criticism recently in the last couple of weeks in terms of, of price lows. Um, how was that discussed and what was the outcome? Well, look, as you're aware, Claire, uh, the f stakeholder forum has been uh, repeatedly advised uh, that it's not a forum for price fixing or price negotiations. As Minister for Agriculture, I have no role to play in that. Uh, that having been said, I mean, there was uh, an acknowledgement that there is a very difficult international trading environment, that that, as, uh, for a, an island that's exporting 90% of what it produces, impacts uh, perhaps disproportionately on us. In, the con in that context, the difference uh, between UK and, and Irish uh, beef prices was discussed. Uh, but, you know... What I was mean, the outcome there? Well, I mean, the, the processors, you know, gave an explanation from their point of view as to what the, the reason is, you know, having to do with uh, UK preference, uh, you know, for, for EU beef, a market that, you know, from the point of view of domestic supply is in deficit. Um, so, you know, there are some of the reasons that were put forward. But we did have, a, you know, a broad discussion around all of those issues. 
There's been a lot of uh, criticism as well in terms of the level of engagement of the, the meat industry, of the processors with, with the farmers, <coughs> with suppliers on the ground. Was that discussed today? Well, I did raise with the processors, and to be fair, uh, they did indicate an ongoing willingness to engage with their customers through the farm organisations. Uh, so um, I, look, I hope that happens because uh, the current situation is to nobody's uh, benefit, not to the benefit of the industry or, or to farmers to have a breakdown in communications. As it stands, the, the processors communicate through Meat Industry Ireland with, with the suppliers. Um, do you think that that is, is working? Well, I mean, they communicate around the forum, they communicate bilaterally and, um, uh, you know, be it the IFA or the ICMSA or the ICSA, um, farmers choose to uh, engage via their representative bodies and whether that's, you know, in form of bilateral between the representative body of the meat industry, uh, their constituent members, through the MII or otherwise, uh, dialogue is really important. And the industry did indicate today an ongoing willingness to engage, and that's welcome. But yet, that doesn't really seem to be the case when you talk to farmers, when you <coughs> talk to suppliers. If you compare the beef situation from, from the industry level to, to ground level to the dairy side, from industry level to ground level, they're, they're worlds apart. Well, they are because the model of ownership is entirely different. I mean, the dairy processes are by, are by and large uh, dairy cooperatives owned by their, stakeholders, their shareholders. Uh, the meat industry is different in structure. Uh, but nonetheless, the point which I emphasised today to the, at the forum was you can't have a meat processing industry without having beef farmers who see a career opportunity long-term in the beef sector. And, you know, that's a fundamental starting point. The markets we export to may be in difficulty now, but the long-term relationship demands engagement and dialogue and discussion about issues. What about Brexit? Was that discussed at length today? We're six months, six months out. Well, uh, it was. Uh, we did have a discussion. It wasn't a major point of discussion, but we did have uh, some engagement around that issue in the context of the department's preparations. There was inquiries as to where we were at in that regard. And as you know, there have been government decisions of July and more recently, uh, which you know outlined the level of uh, preparations that we're undertaking in terms of recruitment, in terms of uh, IT infrastructure, the built environment infrastructure that may be re required uh, post uh, the UK's departure. Uh, we're also into contingency planning for a hard Brexit. Uh, so all those issues were discussed. Um, in recent weeks, Minister, a new group has formed called <coughs> the, the, the Beef Plan Group. They're a, a splinter group of the Irish Farmers Association. Um, now, not all exclusively members of the IFA, but largely. Um, have you, are you aware of this group? Have they reached out to you? Have you seen their proposals that they have pushed forward? No, I mean, the, the engagement here in the department is uh, through the farm organisations. I haven't, I, I, I obviously am aware, uh, I've seen uh, reference in the media to this, this group, um, but I haven't had direct uh, contact from them. Uh, I'm unaware that they've made any submission to the department at this stage, uh, and we continue to engage here with farm organisations. 
What proposals are the farm organisations putting forward in terms of a beef plan? Well, look, I mean, you're aware of the high-profile campaign around the €200 Euro per cow. Um, I've always said from the outset that that's uh, not something that the department could countenance uh, for many reasons, not least because of the cost, but also because, you know, very often the department is accused of lacking joined-up thinking. Uh, if we were, on the one hand, to acquiesce to that demand uh, for a coupled payment, it would run contrary to everything which we've been doing in the beef sector in terms of investing money in quality as opposed to quantity. And we want, what we want to make sure is through the Beef Data and Genomics Scheme, in which we're investing 300 million euros under the current Rural Development Programme, is that we improve the genetic merit of our beef herd and in so doing improve the profitability of the sector. And we have harvested a minefield of data as a consequence of that and that is an enormous resource to the industry. And I think it is only if we stick with this endeavour and continue to participate in the BDGP that we will reach a tipping point where that data will become the engine of informed decision making in the beef breeding, which should lead to greater profitability. So the suckler, when it comes to the suckler payment, the 200 euro per cow payment, you have repeatedly stated that, that is, that's not a runner, it's not well, workable. It, but why, why do you think the farm organisations continue, continue to push for it? Well, I think, to, to be fair, at, 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 a, at one level I understand it's, it's a demand for more support for the sector. And I do appreciate, you know, whether it's in the context of the budget or in the context of CAP reform, that's a legitimate ask more support for the beef sector uh, but it must be consistent with the direction of travel which we're taking under BDGP and also you know consistent with our targets under climate change which are quite significant and onerous uh, and that's why a coupled payment would run contrary to everything we've been pursuing in terms of public policy for a number of years. What about the budget minister it's coming next week what's in it for farmers? Well, the overwhelming uh, objective of the budget is to deliver for the first time in many years a balanced budget, and that's good for every citizen in the state. We are now 10 years out from the financial crash. In reality, we're probably closer to the next crash than we are to the last crash, though, crash, though we're living with the consequences still of the last crash. And having a balanced budget, establishing a rainy day fund, um, is the right thing to do to ensure that we are able to face into the future with confidence, given the fact that there are significant headwinds out there. You mentioned Brexit earlier, there are other challenges in the international trading environment which are capable of lending seismic shocks on our economy. So prudence and a rainy day fund are the critical uh, objectives of the budget. Within that, of course, I'm acutely conscious of my obligations as the Minister for Agriculture to either take a holistic approach to the agricultural sector and see what are the areas that need prudent investment uh, and in that context obviously the aforementioned beef sector um, and, and others are, are to the forefront of my mind. Finally Minister, the protests did take place outside today, we're told there are between 150 to 300 present at it. Uh, were you surprised by that number, by that turnout, was it what you were expecting? Well, look, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I didn't see that or, or, or commentary on it. I have been uh, engaged within the forum up to lunchtime. I was at the National Dairy uh, Milk Quality Awards uh, in the afternoon. I subsequently met with the IFA for their pre-budget submission. So I haven't seen any commentary on the, on, on the protest. I understand there was 
a lot of protests around Leinster House today, um, including the, the, the uh, issues being raised by the uh, farming protest on, on the beef sector, but I'm not aware of the numbers. And look, protest is a legitimate uh, campaigning instrument, and uh, I you know, acknowledge that, but I would like to see uh, the farmers, uh, organisations and leaders back in the room for future stakeholder uh, engagement at the earliest possible opportunity. That's all we have time for, Minister. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Claire. That was the view inside the building, but here's Siobhan Walsh's report on what farmers were saying on the streets outside Agriculture House. Where did you come from today? I came from uh, near Athai, South Kildare. Okay. Um, so you were up early this morning. Why, why did you come to, to the protest today? Um, really, the reason I'm here is because uh, as a sucker farmer, I see a very desperate situation. Um, I see sucker farmers getting out of the industry all around the country, all around me. Do you see a future in the sector for young people? I think from an income point of view, um, it's very negative at the moment. The incomes on beef farms are very low and for a young person coming in, I think it, it really doesn't encourage anybody to um, give their time and their hard work uh, if they're getting nothing, no return from it. So it's very negative at the moment and it's very worrying time because um, we need the beef industry and, and it's a very important part of our exports and it's a very important part of Irish agriculture. So where did you come from today? County Leash. Yeah, and you had your breakfast there a minute ago. You were up early. Why did you come up, come up today now to protest? Well, sure. I mean, the issue at the moment on cattle farms is income, 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 income. And something yeah. has to be done about it. Yeah. And, and uh, we're, here, we're here today, basically, because uh, those issues are not on the table at the forum. And uh, we feel they should be. And uh, if there's any area, any forum that... You know, they are going to be addressed. It's where you have, you know, the factories, the minister or cells sitting around the table. And, uh, you know, that's where they need to be discussed. So where did you come from this morning? Uh, I came from Norkel there. And why did you come to the protest? Well, I came to the protest to highlight the issues facing the beef farmers, not only in Kildare and the rest of the country. Like, um, This has been the toughest year I've ever seen on livestock farms. And the extra cost, the low price. Like, farmers are at their wit's end. Beef farmers are at their wit's end. We're constantly being told about this prime product or this, you know, this great product in-spec animal that they're selling the whole time. And it's just not delivering a margin for them. You know? And what kind of a farm are you from? Are you from a beef farm? I've actually left beef farming. So I'm, I'm chairman of the county in Kildare, West Wicklow. But I, I've left beef farming. And I be, like I had the option. But like most people don't have that option. Um, like, and I'd ask, I'd ask processors, I'd ask the industry, and I'd ask the government. Like, you know, if they can't have an industry that attracts young people and new entrants into it, what future does that industry hold? It holds none. It holds none. I'm joined now by Eamon Corley, the Livestock Chair of Meath IFA and the spokesperson for the newly formed Beef Plan Group. Eamon, what is this new group about and why did you form? Well, the new group that's been formed, um, th the reason behind it was to put a plan together for, for beef. Uh, we're all beef farmers or, or involved in beef in some way, um, be it suckler farmers or farmers farming store cattle or, or, or farmers finishing suckler bread or dairy bread beef and I suppose the reason it was formed was that we would try and unite farmers and um, 
try and get a bit of power back in our industry, the beef industry, because we feel it's our industry. We feel the farmers on the ground are the most important piece of the beef industry. And there has been a lot of pressure put on us in recent years um, with unsustainable prices and prices that we had no control over. And our only option was to take those prices. So I suppose if it was out of desperation, it, it, it doesn't give us a, a cost of production price plus a margin, which we feel that everybody working in every job deserves because we shouldn't be subsidising uh, factories or we shouldn't be subsidising supermarkets or we shouldn't be subsidising uh, consumers. We deserve to get paid for what we do and we don't think it's, it's unreasonable uh, to ask that. Currently, how many members do you have at the moment? Uh, well, in this beef plan group, it's, it, we have currently 530 members. Um, a lot of them are members of the IFA? Uh, a good few of them are members of the IFA. And, but we've also uh, we've left it open to beef farmers from everywhere to join and from every organisation. Uh, uh, and also beef farmers that are not in any organisation. There's a huge amount of beef farmers out there that have given up on farm organisations and they just feel that those organisations haven't represented them over the years and they don't see any point. And uh, that's right across the country. But, but these farmers are still interested in beef and still trying to make a living out of it. It's just the very little confidence in the people representing them at the moment. And so your group has published this uh, beef plan 2018 to 2025. I know it's just a draft, um, yeah. a draft copy of it that's out there at the moment. But until now, has there been a beef plan done up by any farm union, by the IFA or a, a strong plan by government in your view? Um, I have seen some beef plans done out by people in government where basically the, the, we're encouraging farmers to, to increase numbers and to help the economy of this country. But, but I have never seen a beef plan uh, produced by farmers for farmers uh, taking the farmer view into consideration. I, I, I personally have asked uh, for one in the IFA for a number of years and never got any satisfaction. So can you tell us about this proposal that you're, that you're putting forward? There's, there's, there's 86 points in it all together and uh, you have, it's carried out through eight different phases and you came up with those points through consultation with farmers. Yeah, the, 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 way, we, the way we done it was we, we got a group of farmers together and we put them onto a WhatsApp page and we had communication almost around the clock with all these farmers and all the ideas have come from farmers involved in beef and we, we went through a process of almost three months where we were brainstorming each other and identifying the problems uh, looking for ways that we could address them that um, that we thought had a chance of working. Um, a big part of the problem uh, in, in recent years is that uh, 
while farmers will give out about certain things, they don't think about the next level, like how can we make them actually happen and come into being? And I suppose that the biggest issue for us was the price of cattle and how the price of cattle is set. And we feel that we feel that one factory group sets the price of cattle and every other factory seems to follow. And it's not necessarily a market price because even as currently as the situation where the market price in the UK is strong, our market price seems to be going the other way. That's the market price that the factory seems to be quoting to us, the price that they pay us for our cattle. So we don't accept that the market price of cattle should necessarily be the way that our price is dictated. So what is your group proposing on that? Well, what our group is proposing is that we think the factories should give us a cost, cost of production plus a margin. Um, the retail price of beef, we feel there's enough money in that to, to give us that cost of production price plus a margin. Um, and between the factories and the supermarkets, they should be able to make that happen for us. Because if they don't, uh, we won't be able to continue farming and the factories won't have any cattle and the consumers um, won't, have any, won't have any food. Because no, no sector can, can be expected to work for nothing. We all deserve an equal share of, of that pie. Are you engaging with factories currently? Uh, we're not at that stage yet. Uh, what we're trying to do is, is trying to get enough farmers behind us th that uh, the factories will take us seriously and will listen to our demands seriously. Because we see this plan as being beneficial to the factories and beneficial to the supermarkets and beneficial to the consumer. Because we think with it, uh, we'll be able to work with those people to, to deliver uh, a good product um, where everybody will have will be treated equally and, and, and be treated with respect and be encouraged to work together to, to produce this good product that the consumer wants and needs. Eamon, in the last few two weeks or so, uh, you say you've got a lot of calls, a lot of interest uh, from farmers in your group. Currently, how would you describe farmer confidence in farm unions? in order to get the job done, in order to make improvements, in order to ensure that their enterprises will be viable for themselves and future generations? Well, a lot of farmers on the ground, particularly beef farmers, um, no longer go to farm union meetings. Uh, like that, that, that's a reality. Um, and they're looking for uh, someone to come along and to fight their cause. Um, they're interested in farming, and enjoy what they're doing. The, they're off the opinions and deserve to be paid first, the same as any other employee in this country. Uh, and they enjoy producing food and producing quality food. And they're just, they're in a bit of despair out at the moment. And over the last, well, yesterday alone, uh, we, we had 130 new farmers joined our group. And the, a huge amount of emails came in yesterday. Anything 
that we needed them to do, they're prepared to do for us to help us with this. Uh, and they've been full of encouragement and they said it's about time that somebody is, or some group, is going to try and stand up for the farmer because we're under pressure and we genuinely feel that unless we do something, um, we're not going to be around anymore. And you are currently engaging with farm unions. You have meetings coming up with, with the IFA, with senior members of the IFA. You are an IFA member yourself. Yeah. Well, as, as well as the farmers contacting us, we've had farm groups contact us. Um, we've heard that the Charity Society uh, is coming on board with us. And a few of the other breed societies are, are, are backing what we're doing. Um, we're talking to the IFA and uh, other farm organisations and we're trying our best to get them to back our plan. Like ideally, we want every beef farmer in the country to, to get behind our plan because we feel that a, a proper plan but, uh, for beef um, made out by farmers, for farmers, is something that every farmer in the country would like to support. Uh, and I think we need to be united uh, because we have a very tough battle uh, to, to get paid properly for, for, for the work we do. And Eamon, obviously this week we saw protests outside uh, the beef, the 12th Beef Roundtable. Do you think that is a, is a wise decision to protest like that? Or are, are farmers better inside, around the table, negotiating? Well, well I think obviously farmers would be better uh, sitting around the table talking to factories and talking to supermarkets and, and talking to consumers. Um, like my answer is, I think to be better talking. But we also have to bear in mind that uh, factories and supermarkets, they have to listen. Like there's no point in going in and talking if, if, if these people are not prepared to listen. Now, I, I'm not sure whether they're not prepared to listen or what's going on because I, I'm not involved in, in, in that circle at the moment where uh, the, the farm unions are negotiating with factories. I know I do negotiate with factories myself on a weekly basis for our own producer group. And they are tough people to negotiate with. Um, but we have to try. And um, I honestly believe that there is, there is de decent uh, factory owners out there. And if we as farmers are able to give them a decent product, uh, I, I, I think it's possible that, that, that they will listen to us uh, and they will work with us. Um, some, some small factory owners have got in touch with me saying they don't agree with what's currently happening in the meat industry where, where the farmer on the ground has been driven out. So I, I think there is support for what we're trying to do even in the meat industry uh, if we can get people to engage in it. We're out of time, Eamon. Mm. We'll leave it there. I know we'll be watching the space very closely. Thanks for coming in to us. Next up is contract rearing, a viable option for dairy and dry stock farmers. Connor Finnerty has this report from Sligo. Kieran Henry farms just outside Tubercurry in County Sligo. He took over his father-in-law's farm in 2011. Since then he has grown a pedigree limousine herd, but in recent years he has ventured into contract rearing. Uh, I come from a construction background and when the recession hit, uh, the farm became more and more important as a viable source of income for the farm. So 
as as the circular numbers grew, it's uh, it's very slow to grow the circular numbers because there's a huge capital investment involved in trying to buy in stock and get, get more animals. And in the meantime, we uh, the Kemen neighbouring block of land up for lease, 25 acres here beside us. And we took that on a long-term lease, so that straight away created the problem about stocking it. So we looked at a couple of different options, and two years ago then, uh, 2016, um, I had been part of several different discussion groups. But um, we were formed. I, I joined one of the the local discussion rare, the contract rarers discussion group, and I suppose I was in that for about a year before, and I was weighing up the pros and cons of you know th- this might be something that might suit us. Kieran explains that a good relationship is key to contract rearing. He established a partnership with Joseph Dunphy. We got together. We had a bit of a meet up, and I looked at his facilities. He looked at my facilities, and we thought this might be a runner. So we sat down and looked at how it would work. Uh, we used the contract from the Chagas prepares. Uh, we adapted that to suit our needs and after two or three meetings we had a contract. Uh, the way we see the contract rearing is it's just another enterprise. Could have well, it could just as well have been sheep, it could have been uh, calf to beef, it could have been any other system. But um, it, it was an ideal system for us in that it allowed us to maximise our stock and rate, maximise potential profit it allowed us to um, maximise it without significant capital investment. Kieran took in the first batch of heifers in the spring of 2017 and they returned to Joseph's farm in January of this year. The current batch of 60 heifers arrived on Kieran's farm in March and will depart at the end of this month. So it was the first year you take someone else's cattle, uh, you're conscious that they're someone else's. You're almost more answerable to someone else, but in a, you, know, you become very focused on, on, on getting results. Um, at the end of the day, it has to work for both the dairy farmer and the beef farmer. Um, it works for him in that he frees up labour. He, he, we're just a, a contractor. Like it's no different than him farming out his slurry or his fertilizer or any other aspect of his um, enterprise. We're we're we're, the, we're a contractor to him. So he frees up labour. He he um, potentially has the room there to probably milk more cows with this other group gone off his farm. Us, it's a check each month. It um, increases stocking rate, increases profitability. The income from contract rearing has given Kieran more security, and it has allowed him to improve his farm. The sucklers are great, um, uh, but you're down to your two or three paydays a year. Um, the the contract rearing is, is it's a direct debit in the bank each month, so it's, it's, just, it's just like getting a wage into the bank. Like it, it's put certainty around your bills at the end of each month. Um, it, it, it stabilises the farm going forward as a viable enterprise. Um, at the end of the day, I suppose, doesn't matter what background you come from, whether it's sheep, beef, uh, it still has to be viable. Kieran has no intention of getting rid of his pedigree limousine herd. He believes it will go hand in hand with the contract rearing enterprise for the foreseeable future. The two sit very well together on our farm at the minute. Like I, I work off farm, I'm an AI technician with Progressive Genetics, so our, our busy period is April, May, June, July. Um, it also keeps me busy the rest of the year, but that's our that's a very busy time. The two sit together very well. We made a significant investment on the farm last year, and that we developed. Uh, we qualified. We qualified for a grant on a shed. We developed a shed down on the, in the home yard last year, and I see the contract rear and the suckler enterprise together as a way of financing that going forward and 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 generating the cash flow needed to to keep the farm business afloot and you know, make some sort of a living out of it, you know, be able to 
be able to exist off it. But he did warn that contract rearing isn't for everyone. Contract rearing won't be for everyone. It'll it'll suit some enterprises, it'll suit what's some. It won't suit other people. Uh, one of the key aspects of it is the ability to work with someone else. A bit of open mindedness um, gets away from it takes you away from the 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 old way of thinking of I suppose having to own the stock. They're they're someone else's stock, but they're just as important as any other animal that'll be on the farm to me. I'm joined now by independent TD for Roscommon Galway, Michael Fitzmaurice and Livestock Chair of the ICMSA, Des Morrison. Des, we can see on the VT there that Kieran has had a very good experience of moving over to contract rearing. It's something that you support yourself. Where do you see the advantages? Well, the main advantages, I suppose, for the host farmer to start with is that farm incomes, as we know, under the, we'll say, livestock end of it, are declining. And I see this as a regular sustainable income for the host farmer with no volatility except for the costs. Um, they know exactly how much a week they're getting for keeping the animals from the dairy farmer in question and the security of their work. I also see a big advantage in the sense that the investment in this type of cattle rearing is very minimum because they haven't the raw material to buy. Not like a farmer going out, we'll say in springtime of the year, purchasing a store animal for, we'll say a thousand euro and selling it maybe for 1100 or even selling it at a loss. What is happening with the beef prices this year. So there's huge advantages there for the host farmer, but there's also advantages for the dairy farmer. Uh, Labour is in very short supply in dairy farmers. So the dairy farmer is offloading some of his stock to the host farmer on a contractual arrangement. And that gives the dairy farmer more flexibility on his or her home farm to produce more on the home farm. So there's advantages on both, uh, in, in both cases for the dairy farmer and the host farmer that has taken in the animals. Michael Des points out there are advantages for both the dairy and the dry stock farmer. There was strong turnout at uh, Cargan Shannon Chogsk event as well last week on contract rearing. Um, you raised some interesting points at that. You're, yeah, you're first of all, I went to the meeting because um, I think you need to go to a meeting to hear what's been said. Um, so I think we need to go to the nub of the issue. First of all, um, say a dairy farmer. Um, isn't trying to get somebody to contract rear for the love of them or anything. Obviously, it pays better uh, for them that they could have more cows uh, and that the replacements would be uh, reared elsewhere. Second of all, under the nitrates, obviously, um, if you had to rear them yourself and you had extra cows, you'd be in trouble. Um, there is an advantage there for them. Um, and the way I have looked at it, and I've looked at land, especially down south, um, Land to rent down south is about 400 euro an acre. That's the reality of it, and hard got at times at that. And I've looked at the pricing mechanism that is involved in it, and um, you are actually getting a person elsewhere to rear your, your animal. I know they have to meet targets. You have to put the inputs into it. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, you don't even you say you're not going to be looking at them because they're looking after them. Uh, you may call now and again, but that's it. Um, you end up that uh, that is all done for you, actually, for less than if you were renting. Now, 
Um, the, this isn't, in my opinion, about dairy farmer against suckler farmer. Um, what, what raised my eyebrow was the likes of Chagas basically um, promoting the likes of this. Um, and this is 100% right in saying that the, the suckler uh, herd is in trouble at the moment. Um, it's a patient that's sick. Um, Ten years ago we were told that we needed to go for U-grade cattle, have Charlie cows, have limousine cows. Then we went on and this fabulous beef genomics so-called scheme came in and then you were producing more of an animal or a cow more off the dairy herd and we know the prices that farmers are taking. Um, there seems to be a drive to get the suckler herd out. Now down the road, and this is what we have to watch for the person in the suckler herd that would sell their animals first of all, um, that may go at this uh, contract rear. Uh, the first of all is the, obviously if you sell animals you have an income. Um, there is uh, a tax allowance, but that runs out in time, so you have to look at that. Second of all, um, with the best will in the world, we see that, and it's, that um, milk powder was an intervention for a while. I know there was a bit of a move on it this year, but no matter how optimistic we are, myself and Diz, or any of us, um, there is a lull going to come again in the milk sooner or later. I hope it's years to come, but you know, realistically, and Phil Hogan has made it very clear that there won't be a cushion or a soft cushion uh, for the dairy sector. When that happens, what's your first instinct to do? Anyone in business, dairy farmer is a business person more than anyone else. What will you do? When you come to the end of that term, you will say, I'm going to cut down on cows, I'll rear the few heifers, because if it's not paying to produce milk for that year or two years, like before, we've seen it a few years ago, you will cut back. What is the person left with that's gone down this road? They are left with a farm that has no cattle on it, and where did they turn to? And these are the dangers that I see coming down the line. Um, and unfortunately, and it's not the dairy farmer's fault, I'm not blaming the dairy farmer, but what I am questioning is Chagas's approach. Should you not be trying? We need a suckler herd in Ireland, whether we like that or whether we don't. In my opinion, we have lost the Italian trade because we have gone down the wrong roads. The good U-grade Wainland today, out of one and two star cows, is making. I've seen what they're making in the different marts. You'll see it yourself in the different marts in the west of Ireland. Um, you can get between 1,000 and 1,100. I've seen calves that the, the five stars are out of, and you're six, seven, eight hundred euro. There is a medicine needed to, to, to make sure the patient, like the suckler cow, is sorted. And unfortunately, that medicine isn't coming forward. But down the road, if we don't watch what we are doing, we will actually produce more calves for the factories here that won't be to the standard if we get rid of more of the, the suckler herd and we will end up playing into the hands of the protest that was on today again of the factories dictating the price to the farmer of an animal that wouldn't be the real U-grade ready for export. But Michael, do you not think that it could be part of the solution in order to bring a steady income to, to dry stock farmers? In my opinion, um, this is a, a solution at the moment. You may have short-term gain for long-term pain. And I believe that down the road, it will be regretted by farmers. And it's hard to blame farmers at times because as has been pointed out, the suckler herd at the moment is struggling. Farmers um, are looking to other options. But realistically, down the road, especially for the west of Ireland, from Donegal down to Clare and out to Longford, that is basically the home of the suckler herd. 
if we lose that and have a look at the numbers that are increasing, if you've only done 20% um, of, you could look at another 100,000 cows disappearing. Well, everything that happens that way is going to actually affect our exports, in my opinion. It will play into the hands of the big factories and it will end up that there won't be any winner because the dairyman will struggle to sell their calves, the suckler man will be gone and we will end up and there will be jobs lost in factories down the way because people will get fed up of being basically used over a number of years. Des, do you want to come in on that? And I know, Des, you've pointed out that this could be an option, especially in areas where fodder is, is a problem, where there is shortage. Well, I think say support of this issue when we've met with Jagas and we've met with the, some of the farmers involved. And the first thing I want to say is, and I'm not here to defend Chagas, and Michael knows well that, mm. Chagas is a research and advisory body. Their function is to research and advise farmers. Uh, secondly, they're a semi-state organisation. This, this initial uh, approach did not come from Chagas to the farmers. It came actually from bottom up. It came from farmers to Chagas to advise them mainly on the contractual obligations on this system because cattle were exchanging in on the B&B arrangements and all of this for a long time not alone in the west of Ireland but all over Ireland nearly since the foundation of the state but it wasn't done on a regularised or a contractual arrangement all we are doing is giving people another alternative another economic option to make their farm viable and it, it begs me to see why anybody would not give farmers of Ireland that option. And it's not alone in the west of Ireland. This will be all over Ireland and is all over Ireland at this time. Now, having said that, contract rearing is not for everybody. I want to make that point clear. And Michael is partially correct when he's thrown another side. And I welcome his, his argument and his debate here with this. And it actually realises what Michael is doing, that it is not for everybody. This is a mutual agreement between two farmers on a contractual basis. What they make out of it or what they do on that is privileged, their own privileged information. But they should not be denied that opportunity. Because let's face it, farmers are losing money in your constituency and all over the areas you've talked about, from north to south, along the west coast and all over Ireland in the systems they're in. So they have two options nearly, the, the sheep, the suckler, or maybe even forestry in some of your constituency, Michael. I think what we are doing here is giving farmers another option, another alternative to make a vial, uh, an income and make their farm viable. Because remember, a lot of these farmers are even part-time farmers. They're not full-time farmers and dairying would not suit these farmers because they have jo off-farm jobs in these areas. And if they can make their farm viable, whether it's in Roscommon, whether it's in Waterford, whether it's in Donegal, I think they're entitled and should be given the option. I'm afraid we're out of time. This is a topic that we will be returning to. Thanks very much for joining us. And thanks to all our guests and to our sponsors, Homeland. If you want to get in touch with the Farmland or Agriland teams, you can contact us directly or reach out on our social media pages. Thanks to you for watching and we'll see you next time.